0: We are already two weeks into 2024. Uh, Perhaps it's not too late for me to make a few predictions. Sometime in the next few weeks, now get ready for some really amazing insights. Sometime in the next few weeks, a change to your morning routine is going to tempt you to skip your Bible reading and prayer time. Now, you may appease your conscience by telling yourself that you'll make it up later in the day. You won't. Also, Sometime in the next few months, you wake up on a Sunday morning and still feel a little tired, decide to stay in bed a little bit longer. But by the time you actually get going, it's too late to make it to church. Again, you'll be ready with something to soften the, uh, uh, the guilt you might feel at that moment. You'll say, well, I'll just watch the live stream. It's just as good. In fact, in some ways, it's better. There won't be anybody else distracting me. Why are are such scenarios so common that we can anticipate them with a fairly high degree of certainty to continue into this new year? Could it be because we let other aspects of everyday life take precedence over our focus on God. Those other things can seem so urgent, especially first thing in the morning. Well, I have to finish my homework or I have to get to to work on time. I don't have to read the Bible right now what what's that say about our priorities? Well, after all, we can reason. The Bible says the Lord is patient. Maybe he doesn't mind waiting in line until I have time for him. Or maybe he would rather have us finally get victory over this issue this year. To help move us in that direction, Luke chapter 2 closes Luke's account of the incarnation, the arrival of the second person of the Trinity to this earth, he closes by giving us just a brief single glimpse into one event in the life of Jesus while he's still a child. After this, he's going to jump right to the beginning of Christ's ministry, and oh, how we wish we knew more about what happened during those prior years! But we don't. Over the centuries, some have have uh, written some things that they suppose might have happened. There are all kinds of legends about things that the little boy Jesus would have done probably none of the things that they guess, except that we know he always did the right thing. Uh, Scripture makes that clear. But he provides an example for us in this one episode. As a 12-year-old boy, he provides an example not just for 12-year-old children, but for God's people of all ages. Here's an example for us, where Jesus is the pattern for human maturing. Jesus did not need to mature as the Son of God, but he did need to mature as a human being. And every indication that we get is that that was a fairly normal progression we have a little difficult time reconciling the reality that he is at the same time a child, a human child that needs to grow, not only physically, he needs to grow in knowledge. He doesn't know anything when he first starts. And at the same time, he's the second person of the Trinity and he knows everything. How can both of those be true at the same time? What the evidence in the gospel accounts is that while he was on this earth, Jesus was operating on what some have called his human level of consciousness. He was growing as an otherwise ordinary human being. And as such, He sets a valid example for us. Let's look into this account then. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 2, the passage we read together already this morning. Jesus is the pattern then for human maturing. The example he sets in this passage is that you must seek to grow in the Lord. Not take that for granted. Not assume that growth in the Lord is automatic. But that you take the responsibility every day to grow in the Lord. Verses 41 through 49, this episode all takes place at the temple. There's a correspondence here. Uh, a correspondence to an opportunity that God provides for his people in our day as well. The correspondence is essentially what he experienced at the temple that day is the opportunity we get at church to grow in the Lord week after week. Verse 41 says that his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Now this is excellent. This is letting us know that Jesus grew up in God's providence. He grew up in a home that followed biblical patterns, followed biblical customs. They all went to Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover. Now, they didn't all have to go. This is actually going beyond what God required. What he required is that the men would go to the Passover and that they would also go to two of the other major feasts uh, throughout the year. That the whole family went is this family, this father, at some point having made the decision, I think we all ought to go. And what, what a journey. This is a five-day journey from uh, Galilee all the way down to, uh, well, down going south. And there is a lot of going down into the, through the Jordan Valley and then up to Jerusalem. Uh, and so it's always up to Jerusalem. Wherever you are in Israel, you're going to end up going up to Jerusalem, uh, I have to say, I've never made that climb because I'm always in a bus on that road from Jericho up to Jerusalem, but it's a, it's a rigorous uh, hill. Uh, four or five-day journey, and then the time they would spend there, and then four or five days back again. The whole family going on this excursion. This is a major commitment This is a commitment to do something really important, and that is to gather with God's people to worship the Lord. A commitment to worship God is a major part of your spiritual growth, of your walk with God, of your focus on Him. Worship with God's people at church, in our context, Fulfilling here the biblical customs, but also okay to do more than the minimum. More than the minimum. See, that's into the area of taking initiative, taking responsibility, not just getting by. But what more can I do to grow in the Lord? That's what we're already seeing in this family. What a great example. And something unusual happens. Verse 43, when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, if this was any other boy, we'd be suspicious uh, that he was up to mischief here. But we know that's not the case with Jesus. He stayed behind. How could that happen? We have a hard time understanding that or even coming up with a, a, a good scenario. Oh, they, maybe this is what happened. But uh, this much is clear. He's not staying behind in Jerusalem with any aspect of rebellion or disobedience. He always did the right thing. If there is any negligence here, it has to be on the part of his parents. But we can give them a little slack here as well. Imagine, this is their oldest child, imagine that for 12 years, he's never done a wrong thing. Now, we all have a hard time imagining that, okay? After 12 years, you would just come to expect he's always going to be at the right time, at the right place, in the right time, uh, so we hardly have to worry about that. Somehow, the message that we're leaving for Nazareth uh, at noon today didn't get through. And so, here's how I have pictured the scenario. They just never communicated that, and keep in mind as well, this was not 2024 this was the first century in a thoroughly safe environment surrounded by God's people plenty of people that are going to take care of him I don't think he slept on the street somebody would have said hey come into our home are you hungry he, he was going to be taken care of uh, we, we don't need to be concerned about those things as we would today So take the whole safety feature uh, out of this. Uh, Still, there's a problem. As the account goes on to tell us that uh, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it, but supposing, okay, now the account never points a finger at them, but they supposed something that it was their responsibility to make sure about. I... I, (laughs) look at it this way. Mary, Joseph, you're entrusted with the Messiah. You're supposed to be taking care of him. But all right, pretty good job so far, I'm sure. But they supposed something they should have made sure about. Supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. The usual route from Jerusalem to Galilee would be to go down uh, eastward past Jericho, cross the Jordan River, and go up the Jordan Valley on the eastern side. So one day's journey, it's downhill to Jericho. They can get pretty good time there. Probably had already crossed the Jordan River and gone some distance toward the north. And, well, we better find him. It's time for bed. Uh, they ask among their relatives. And nobody has seen Jesus. After a thorough search, they realize he's not here. He's not in the caravan. So an anxious night. The next morning, they retrace their steps back up this long hill to Jerusalem. So one day going away, one day going back. The next day is when they can start searching for him. That's the three days altogether. And so during that period, and probably it was pretty early on that third day that they encountered him. So that's all that's going on through verse 45. Uh, Is there a lesson in these couple of verses for us? I think so. We've just seen that uh, there's an opportunity to fulfill the biblical customs and even do more than the minimum. These verses tell us that sometimes it's not the usual but the unusual opportunities that show up. For two full days and and some part of that third day, a 12-year-old boy is on his own. What would he choose to do? Where would he choose to go? Let's personalize this a little bit. You find you've got some unexpected free time. Where would you go? What would you do? How high in your priority list is going to be a focus on the Lord? And open your Bible with some free time. Maybe review uh, our our memory passage for the month of January. That is a great uh, assignment for us all. We're going to learn John 1, 1 through 18. First five verses, and that's not intimidating if you look at those. You can do this, but it does take some work. It's going to take some review. You get a few minutes, go to John chapter 1. Spend some time there. Invest in your growth in the Lord. Pursue those uh, unexpected options that come up. They find Jesus that third day in verse 46 after three days they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, let's dispel a, a false perspective on that particular aspect of this story because uh, we would be tempted once again, well, our, our thinking is that, well, he's, he's a human being and he's God. Our assumption is that the God part is going to be dominant and he's gonna be accessing that so that we would picture him there and, uh, and, and when he's asking questions to these teachers of God's word, he's actually quizzing them. He's exposing where they don't really understand. And uh, they, they might ask him, well, do you know this passage in Isaiah? And he might say, know it. I wrote it. <laughs> okay. Okay, I don't think so. He's not quizzing the teachers when he asks them questions. He's trying to learn more. He's twelve. He has had a period of time to learn God's word. But he's got it's a it's a big Bible. He's got a lot to learn. Isn't that astounding? The second person of the Trinity, the one that our memory passage in John 1 calls the Word, needed to learn the Word. Now, I'd Grant, he had an advantage. Probably our tendency to forget what we've learned before has something to do with our sinful nature, which he did not have. He probably had the advantage then of learning something and he's got it. He doesn't need to review. That would be a great blessing. So there's, a, there's an, an actual difference there. And yet the point here is that he had to learn it. He had to work at this. He's finding himself on his own Doesn't know how long that's going to last. How far did the parents get before they realize he's still back here in Jerusalem before they turn around? He doesn't know. But hey, I've got some free time. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to try to learn some more. Um, He probably had some advanced in the previous few days during the festival. But there's more to learn. Let me see what I can find out. What an amazing example that is. His example says, seek to learn more. There's more you can know of God's word. The interaction here with the teachers was for his benefit. And yes, they were amazed. They would have quizzed him and found out he knows a whole lot more than the average 12-year-old Not because he's God, but because this is not the beginning of his earnestness to learn. That doesn't start at 12 years old. I I toyed briefly this week with the idea of canceling children's church this morning. So that from three years old and up, all of our children would still be in here. I, I, I just never acted on that, and I wish now that I had. Because you don't have to be 12 to start learning. You don't even have to be three to start learning. We've got a two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. She's learning truth already. And it continues on throughout adulthood as well. Seek to learn more. Verse 48, his parents observe what is going on. They saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. All right, this is a typical human parent response, isn't it? It's your fault that I am uncomfortable. The the real big problem here is that we have experienced distress. Uh, All right, there's some priority issues there as well. Parents, the biggest issue in your home isn't your personal pleasure. It's not you having everything the way you want because you're in control and the children that are just there to make you happy. Okay. If that's your ambition, uh, life is going to hold a whole lot of disappointments every day. That's not what your home is about. Your assignment from God is to train some servants for him. What a privilege. What a high responsibility. Your success or failure in that endeavor is a huge part of your relationship with God. He's entrusted souls into your care. Your job is to hand them back to God someday as ready to serve him wherever he wants to send them, whatever his plan might be for them. So Mary's response here, trying to shift the responsibility, this is your fault that we've had a hard time. I don't think so. This is, if there's any negligence here, it has to be on the parents' side So his response to them, both, he he already understands. He knows he's not done anything wrong. He doesn't have to ask their forgiveness for anything here. And yet at the same time, he's their child, so he doesn't want to be in the position of rebuking. And yet they need some assistance here in seeing this scene a little more clearly. So he does it by asking a couple of questions. Verse 48, uh, verse 49, he said to them, why were you looking for me? (laughs) I think that implied you should have known where I was. You shouldn't have had to look. The second question clarifies that even a little bit more. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, Mary had referred to Joseph as his father, and that's entirely appropriate. It's not his birth father. He's his adopted father. He's the leader of the home in which Jesus was growing up. They were heading to that father's house in Nazareth. Jesus isn't denying any of that. But he's saying, but there's also another relationship going on here. And at 12 years old, think of this for a moment. Somewhere at some point between the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and his presentation to Israel at the baptism of John the Baptist, somewhere in between it had to occur to this child I think I'm the Messiah. We don't know how that would have occurred to him or when, but maybe this is an indication that it's already happened. He's already gotten enough of a sense of his particular calling to the Lord that he knows he's heading in that direction, though he still has a lot to learn, a lot to know. Maybe when he says In verse 49, did you not know that I must be in my father's house, referring to the temple, that he's referring to his special relationship as the son of God? Maybe, maybe already. Or maybe just as a child who loves God, he is focused on this relationship that all God's people should have. He's my father, and He he's your father, too, if you know Christ. Didn't you know? Actually, the wording that Jesus uses here is a little, actually, it's a lot broader than house. You know, the King James rendered this, that I must be about my father's business or something like that. Uh, And so which one does the Bible actually say? Well, Jesus uses a very generic uh, word. He says, didn't you know I must be about my father's things? Okay, well, that, that included being in a particular place at the father's house. But even more than that, it's doing the things of his father concerned about those things focused there striving to grow shouldn't have been surprised at this mary this actually should be what you are doing parent what we ought to expect every child to be intent upon This isn't, whoa, this is weird. This is, why isn't this normal? Why isn't this the way we think? Why isn't this what we can legitimately expect of both parents and children? All this took place in the temple itself God's people, where they gather together. Opportunity to grow there, and that opportunity continues in our day here at church. Gathering with God's people is essential, but by itself, it's not nearly enough. This is once a week, twice a week, three times. You can come on Wednesday as well, uh, But that's pretty limited. Verses 50 to 52, Jesus leaves the temple. We find from this as well that you can also grow in the Lord at home where you spend a whole lot more time. That involves accepting your environment. Your environment just as God has assigned it to you you know that you are in exactly the home that God wants you to be? All of our children, you have exactly the family that God wants you to have. So that all that you need to be fully prepared to serve him is available. And you need to accept then that environment And the reality that your family, as good as it is, is imperfect. Jesus had to accept that reality. That's what we find in verse 50. His parents did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They're baffled by this. This is not ordinary. And so they're they're struggling with that. Parents are still growing. Parents still have more to learn as well. Parents are not perfect. And the parent knows it. Child needs to accept that. Realize your parents are growing by God's grace. But they are advancing in clarity. Verse 51, uh, he went down with them, these imperfect parents, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Why would he do that? Because that's God's plan. It's his plan that the children submit to the parents, that they obey what they do even though they're still growing themselves submit to your parents it's amazing that that's what jesus did although he clearly in some instances understood more than they did doesn't matter sometimes children think they understand more than their parents do probably not That's probably a misperception on your part. In Jesus' case, yes, he had a little more clarity. He maybe was a little more earnest than even they were in growing in the Lord. But the situation has its limits, yes, but God knows all of that. Where was Jesus going to grow up? In Nazareth. Where is Nazareth? You ask most of the people in that generation, they weren't really sure. Oh, it's some backwater place. They get somewhere up north. Las- Mas- Nazareth was nothing. Nazareth had—it was just a small farming village. Uh, what could he get in Nazareth? All he needed. By God's grace, wherever God has put you, wherever, whatever the limitations are there, it's okay. You can be fully prepared to serve the Lord effectively right where God has placed you. So accept that environment. Well, one interesting note here is that from verse 51 on, now he's the subject He's the focus, and they accompany him. He went with them to Jerusalem. They go with him to Nazareth. That's just a a subtle shift on Luke's part because the story is going to shift entirely to him from this point on. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. She's still learning. She's trying to put things together. Good for her. Now, verse 52 gives us our last bit of insight about this growth process, and it's helpful for us as well. Jesus increased in four categories, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Those are two separate items there. The first two indicate he's growing in maturity. To grow in wisdom is more than just gaining knowledge. He's learning how to apply that knowledge to everyday life in obedience to God. That's wisdom. He's gaining in that category. Again, letting us know he didn't have it all intact when he was born. He's increasing in wisdom as he is growing physically as well. This is the part that we don't have a hard time understanding. Sure, he was a baby, he had to become a man. That's a gradual process. But it does tell us that Jesus had a human body. With the implication that he took care of that body. It needed to transport him over many miles in the coming years. He grew in stature. And he also grew in relationships. His relationship with God, first, he grew spiritually, walking with God, striving to be pleasing to him. But he also grew in relationship with people. God was his father, people were his ministry. It's the same with us. God is our Father. People are our ministry. People are important. Developing those relationships that opens doors for ministry. That's what Jesus is doing. And he's our example. Uh, You might protest, but but he's God. Isn't that how he was doing so well? Well, we get a little more insight, and I, I want to turn your attention to two passages in Isaiah, where Isaiah had already told us how this was going to work in the life of the Messiah. And the remarkable thing is what he tells us, first of all, in chapter 11... Go back to Isaiah chapter 11. How did Jesus actually learn to do the right thing? How did he learn the truth? Isaiah 11, right at the beginning of that chapter, the first verse tells us this is a messianic prophecy. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch From his roots shall bear fruit. This is the Messiah. How did he grow? Well, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. He's got plenty of that to impart. He's also the Spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. How did Jesus grow spiritually? How did he grow in wisdom? The Holy Spirit was upon him. Oh, wow. So, where does that leave us? With the same spirit. Spirit. The moment you trusted Christ as Savior, that same spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge of the fear of the Lord took up residence in your life. He's got something to say. He's got some things to teach. We get the same opportunity that Jesus had. Isaiah 50. The insight in this chapter is crucial for us understanding Jesus and understanding ourselves. Isaiah 50, another messianic passage. Let's start in verse 4. Prophetically this is Jesus speaking. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. That is what he said he first had to learn. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. That's ministry. God has entrusted this ability, this knowledge, this truth to help others. But how did he get that knowledge? Here it is. Halfway through verse four, morning by morning he awakens me. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Every day the Holy Spirit was teaching and Jesus was listening. Every day, the Holy Spirit is ready to teach you. Are you listening? Verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear. Don't miss this part. And I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. What's the big difference between Jesus and... And all the rest of us. It's, now, it is a big difference. He's God and we're not. That's huge. Okay? But that's not the point here. God gave him the Holy Spirit. He gives us the same Spirit. What's the difference? Whatever the Spirit told Jesus to do, he did. Never resisting, never insisting on his own way. I was not rebellious, Jesus could honestly say. There's the difference. We hear the Holy Spirit, we sense his guidance. No, I I think I want to do this instead. You wonder why Jesus grew faster than we do? There it is. But you realize that doesn't have to continue. That spirit is going to continue to teach you, to try to teach you, to try to direct you every day in 2024. And I challenge you to prove my predictions wrong. Actually, if you're listening carefully, I didn't predict failure. I predicted temptation whether you fail or not depends on how you respond to the holy spirit think of what a joy it would be to look back over this year and to honestly be able to say with isaiah 50 verse 5 the lord opened my ear and i was not rebellious i did not turn backward. What a great goal for our children. What a great goal for our parents and everybody else. To be able to say that you're going to need God's help. So let's close now in prayer and take an opportunity in these quiet moments to tell God that that is, in fact, your desire this year. I want to grow. Would you help me? Father, we confess that we are so easily distracted by other things in life that at the moment can seem so much more important Father, would you forgive us for our wrong perception, our wrong priorities at those times? Thank you for entrusting to us the Spirit of God. Thank you for His earnestness and consistency in teaching us what we need to know and directing us where we need to go. Father, would you help us follow the example of our Savior? that we would not be rebellious. That by your grace, we might not turn away backward. Father, help us to go forward in growth in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.